What's up, everybody? Hey, it's good to see all of you. I'm going to move some stuff around up here, but that's okay. It'll still be here. Um, I'm Jason, Jason Hawkins, and I'm on staff with RUF, and I'm just really glad that you're here. Uh, so I get the privilege of working alongside Thomas in, uh, yeah, caring for you. And so I'd love to get to know each of you a little bit more, uh, but I'm grateful that you're here because you could be doing anything else. There's a ton of other stuff you could be doing, and yet you find yourself here on a Thursday night in a church, and I think that that's significant. I'm glad you're here for whatever reason, wherever you are in your faith, uh, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you're interested, uh, or whether a friend brought you and you're like, whoa, this is a church thing? That's weird. Uh, (laughs) Wherever you are, we're glad that you're here. Uh, We hope to get to know you, um, get to hear your stories, share bits of ourselves with you. uh, Because we hope that this can be a place and a people, a community where you can just be yourself, where you can be authentic, where you don't have to worry about kind of putting up a front or a facade uh, of having it all together. Because we sure don't. Uh, We... We believe that the grace of God is central, is incredibly significant in our lives. Uh, And we say this every week, and we hope that we live it out in our actions. But we say that uh, we believe that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And those things just allow you to be wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, and to come here and to receive God's grace. We hope that that's what happens tonight uh, because we believe that grace shapes us, shapes each of us individually, shapes our community to be beautiful amongst all of our flaws, uh, that God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And so we receive the grace of God with glad hearts. We hope that that happens. Uh, We're going to pray and then we're going to move through the passage. but one of the things that happens at Redeemer, I don't know if any of you have come here on a Sunday morning or not, but Matt does this thing that I appreciate. And he says, you know, normally when somebody with a mic prays, everybody kind of clocks out. I don't want that to happen. And so as I pray, I ask that you would pray along with me and ask God to show you what small things he might like to use in your life to draw you closer to him. And so would you pray with me? I'm going to leave a little bit of silence at the beginning, too. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we come here on a Thursday night hoping to meet you, believing that you're here already. But we, yeah, we ask you that you would come into our hearts, into the small moments of our lives, that we would look around and see you in the mundane things, that you would work powerfully in our lives, that you would work powerfully through this passage. That as we work through some of your parables, Jesus, that we would come to see you as more beautiful. We would come to see ourselves more clearly. We would come to understand what power in your kingdom really looks like. So Lord, would you, yeah, would you speak to my heart as I preach and speak to the hearts of all of us here as we listen to your word and are shaped by your grace. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. So this fall, we've been in a series called The Storyteller. 
We've just been going through different parables that Jesus told in his ministry on earth. And he told a lot of stories. Uh, Jesus didn't usually answer questions straight up. Usually people would ask him a question and he'd be like, hey, there's a story about a farmer and a goat. And then that would just be it. And so we're spending time in these stories uh, because they're significant. In parables of Jesus, uh, a parable is just a story with a point. And so uh, Jesus told them for any number of reasons. He told them to draw in those who were interested and who would sit and listen and kind of soak it in. And he also told it to to reveal the hard-heartedness of other people who would reject Jesus' teaching. And they rejected his parables because they didn't have humility to sit and listen to him. Uh, He also told them just to engage the imagination. That people would come to understand something deeper than just straightforward teaching. Because when our imagination is engaged, then it it can kind of sneak behind our logic and soak into our hearts. And so Jesus told a lot of stories. Some were long. Uh, ours, to, ours tonight were two short ones. We had two parables, which is cool. Uh, but they're parables about small things. They're also parables about power. And when I think a lot about kind of how our culture views power, the things that we look to and attribute significance and importance, I think, yeah, modern day, we look at big things. We look at large things. Uh, We look at the obvious things, the things that are clear and big. But the things that that God talks about and he says that are powerful are small and unseen things. And that's what we're going to see as we just move through our two parables tonight. We've got one about something small. We've got one about something unseen. And we're just going to jump right in, jump into the parable of the mustard seed, the small thing. So I'm going to read verses 31 and 32, if you want to follow along, either in your Bibles or on the screen. But Matthew 13 and 31 and 32 say this. So he, that's Jesus, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So a lot of Jesus' parables start off just like that. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Uh, Matthew uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven, uh, but most other places in the Bible it's the kingdom of God. Those are just the same name, or two different names for the same thing. But Jesus is going to tell us what it's like. But it's helpful for us to take a step back and ask, what is the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of heaven? And it's just, it's kind of in short, it's God's rule and reign on earth. And it includes all of the people who submit to his rule and reign, who submit to him as kind of king, as Lord. That's why we use that title for Jesus. And Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. So it was coming near and it was kind of initiated in Jesus's life, death and resurrection. But it's going to come in its fullness. It's going to be fully realized, fully experienced when Jesus comes again restores all things, renews all things. Everything is, is perfect in glory. Uh, all things sad become untrue when Jesus comes again and his kingdom is realized completely. That's what the kingdom of heaven is that Jesus is talking about. And he just says it's like a mustard seed, which is just a super small seed. Uh, I had to look this up, so I imagine you don't know this either. But it's, a mustard seed is just it's a small little sphere 
that's about a millimeter in diameter. So super tiny, like real tiny. And so you, Jesus paints this picture. The kingdom is like a seed that's really small. But it grows over time into something large enough for birds to make their homes there. For kind of it to give shade and people to rest underneath. And the original audience, the people who were hearing Jesus tell this parable, they didn't expect power to look like that. They wouldn't have expected the kingdom of God to start with something as small as a mustard seed. What they expected was that the kingdom of God would come with military conquest and political power. So the people Jesus was talking to is kind of the nation of Israel. Uh, They were a kingdom. There was the kingdom of Israel that existed for a while. And then foreign powers kind of overtook them and had been ruling over them for hundreds of years. And here they would have expected that the kingdom of God would would have been brought about by a big military conquest that overthrew Rome, who was the power over them at the time. It would have been this great display of power that reclaimed their land and kind of put the king on the throne and acted politically. They they saw that as something big and significant. They didn't really have a category for the small, slow power that was developed over kind of incremental growth over a long time. They just didn't have a category for that. I think for the most part, neither do we. I think the only thing that really comes close, uh, shout out to all you econ majors, you know, the time value of money, sort of, like you invest money. You can put, like, put some, small, some small sums of money away, and as you invest over your lifetime, hopefully you'll have enough to retire at not 98 years old. You can retire, that's a big enough sum, but that's over a long time. That's over decades that that grows and while that's true, I think we would much rather just win the Powerball, right? Win the lottery. Uh, from my house, whenever I'm going to come into Lincoln, I drive by a Powerball sign. And every single day, I'm like, oh, man, I would love to win that. What would I do with that $87 million? Or the, the most that I've seen when I drove by one time was like seven fifty. It's like, oh, man, $750 million. Dude, I want that right now. I've never bought a Powerball ticket, but I think about it almost every single day. <laughs> like, that would be awesome, right? be great to have just that huge sum of money. And so we, we equate kind of power with, with big things right now as well, even though we say that, like, yeah, money kind of builds over time. I think we, we think this way in, like, big things in politics as well, how power impacts politics. I think we can put some some hope in kind of national policies or, or big elections that will swing everything and sweeping changes will happen and everything's going to change. I think uh, on both sides, we think that. So there, there are some people who think if Trump gets elected, then we're going to have a pro-life Supreme Court justice get set in. It's going to overturn Roe v. Wade and abortions are never going to happen again. Or on the other side, uh, if Biden gets elected, then white supremacy is going to be dismantled and racism kind of will be destroyed. And now let, uh, let me tell you, I, I long for the day where there's no more abortions, where I like, believe in the beauty and the sanctity of life from inside the womb to death. And I also hate the sin of racism. I often have to repent of it in my own heart 
And I long for the day where we can come together as a community, multiracial, multiethnic, and we can see the beauty in everyone's diversity. I long for that day. But I just don't think that this election is going to make either of those outcomes happen. No matter who, if Trump's elected, I don't think, like, I know that there will still be abortions that will be performed, even if Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I know that racism is still going to exist if Biden gets elected because there's sin in our human hearts. And that's just kind of the human condition that we need Jesus to help us. We look forward to the day where he comes and all of those things are destroyed fully. But I just recognize that, yeah, these big national sweeping changes aren't really like they don't have the power that we hope they do. And God knows that. And he kind of talks about that a little bit in our passage, that he gives power to the small things. The power in the kingdom of God is surprising because it's so different from what we expect. And it's different than what we want. We want the big things to happen, to be able to snap our fingers and what we, what we want to occur in big, significant ways. But Jesus just says that there's power in ordinary things. There's power in the small things. That small things become great in the kingdom of God, even if you don't notice them grow day by day. Like a mustard tree, it's going to take years for that seed to grow into a tree that's able to support birds in their nests. It's going to take a long time for that tree to grow. I've had a similar experience about that kind of incremental growth. Uh, So I used to live here in Lincoln until after second grade, and our family moved away. We lived on the south side, and so I, my house is super north, and so I don't get down there very often. Um, but last summer, I was just driving. I was out there, and I kind of drove. I said, I'm going to go drive by my old house. And there, when I was in first and second grade, I would climb the tree out front, and it was small enough that my parents didn't care. Like, if I fell out even from the top, I wouldn't really get hurt. That's how small it was. But I came back, and this tree is taller than the house now. There's a two-story house. It's like well over 25 feet, this tree. It like blocks out most of the view of the front of the house from the street. I'm like, man, that used to be so much smaller. Like I came back 15, 16 years later and saw how much it had grown. But man, if you just look at trees day to day, it doesn't look like they're doing anything. They'll lose their leaves, but they're not really growing all that much. That's just what Jesus says the kingdom of, life, the kingdom of God is like. It's like a tree that grows. From a seed, from something so small to so large. Just what he says it's like. He says it's like something else in our second parable. So in verse 33, it says this. It says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now leaven is kind of like yeast. It's this kind of rising agent that they would have used in baking at the time. Uh, And so you'd add it to the flour and the water mixture uh, so that you could have a loaf of bread instead of just like a flat rock of bread. Nobody wants that. So you need the leaven to make it a loaf, to kind of give it the air for it to grow and cook well. So that's what leaven is that this woman adds to three measures of flour. And that's just not like a measurement that we use nowadays. Like you read through this and you're like, oh yeah, three measures of flour, like three handfuls or whatever. It's like, no, that's not it at all. I, I went and read some commentaries and one commentator says 
that three measures of flour, the bread that would have been made from that amount, would have fed 40 people three meals a day for several days. And it's, they ate bread differently than we do. They like had, bread was a big chunk of their diet. And so it wouldn't have been just like a, a small slice with some butter on it. It would have been a big hunk. So like enough big hunks of bread to feed 40 people for several days. Or other commentators said that this amount of bread would feed hundreds, several hundred people. That's a ton. That's a huge mound of flour. And it says uh, that this woman just hides it. Hides a little bit of leaven inside the flour. And so if you've like, done any baking, you know that it's just a very little amount of yeast for the whole loaf, for the whole bread. And so you kind of shift it around a little bit and it doesn't even look like it's there. But Jesus says that this leaven leavens the whole mound, enough to feed hundreds of people, just a small amount. He's saying that this little bit of hidden power transforms the whole. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like this unseen power that works from the inside out to bring transformation. This unseen power, again, was not at all what their original listeners would have thought about the kingdom of God about power. Uh, They expected the kingdom to be obvious, that it would be full of obvious power, that it wasn't going to be subtle at all. They expected, again, that the judgment of God on their enemies would be made clear, crystal clear. When a military conquest came in, slaughtered all their enemies, enslaved the ones who were left, and they they would see a visible king with a visible crown on top of a throne, like enacting visible acts of judgment on those who had oppressed them. They didn't want an unseen power. They didn't really even believe in the, the, the transformative power from the inside out. And while they were looking for visible acts of judgment when the kingdom came, uh, nowadays we still, we still long for this visible power. We don't think about like, judgment as much, but we care about visible power. Just think about social media. Man, don't we just long for the amount of likes to beat the last post that we had? I know I do. Oh, man. And my last post was my engagement picture. I'm never going to beat that. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. (laughs) Got Keontae back there. Uh, Yeah. I think a lot of people, maybe they, they try to create this perfect picture this visible picture on social media that's like, oh yeah, that's my perfect life. I want people to see that and affirm that. Or other people uh, will try to cultivate kind of vulnerability so that they're not seen as the, the people who are putting up kind of a fake perfect life. But really, oftentimes it feels like that's just so other people can be like, good job. Yeah, you're not like the fake people on there. Or other times it's like, I'm going to post super ironically and have a real sarcastic kind of caption to poke fun at the people who put up the perfect... All of that is longing for this visible power, right? That last one is me, by the way. The irony, the sarcasm. Oh, man. But it's that visible power. Uh, but nowadays, just even within the past few years, it's, it's this viral power as well. We got any TikTok fans? Anybody? Yeah? One. Great. Uh, I've never downloaded the app but I've watched the videos. I know the super popular TikTok people. Uh, I I did some Googling 
because I was, I knew I was going to be mad when I did it too. I was like, what are are the famous TikTokers net worth? What did they make in a year? And anybody want to guess who the number one, who like made the most money? Uh Uh-uh. I thought it was going to be Charlie too. It's not. It's Addison Ray. Guess how much money she made from last June to this June? Five million. That's, that's absurd. I was going to say that's stupid because it kind of is. Like that's the viral power can earn you five million dollars in a year from like posting dance videos. Or like that's that's the viral power. It's like oh man, like how many of you are thinking like could I really wish I was TikTok famous? I wouldn't even need to buy a Powerball. I just like cash in. I thought about that. I was like no, it's never going to happen for me. Uh, yeah, but that's this viral, this visible power that I think we long for as well. And God, again, just says, like, nope, that's not what power looks like in my kingdom. God gives unseen things great power. Gives the power to leaven that transforms the flour, the loaf from the inside out. He just says that's what power's like in my kingdom. Is that it's transformative, it changes you, it changes his people from the inside out. It's not seen, it's not noticed from the outside, it's not flashy at all. But it's just like leaven that gives transformation to create loaves of bread. Last time I talked about the tree in my front yard. If any of you were at Chili Night last week, you know where I'm going with this one. We're talking bread. We're talking my sourdough. People were saying it was really, really good. So those of you who weren't there, you missed out. Maybe we'll come back for next time. Uh, But I, like all other millennials, started baking sourdough bread at the beginning of quarantine. I was like, oh yeah, it's a millennial thing to do. I'll do it. And so it was like, I've been doing it for six months. Basically how you make sourdough is you mix water and flour and the sourdough starter. That is the the kind of leavening agent as well. You mix that together. uh, But this this starter that I got uh, was made by a guy named Kevin Shin back in 2007. This starter's been around for 13 years. I was like, I was, I was 11. I had to do the math. I was like, I was going to say I was 10, and I'm like, no, that's not quite right. I was 11, and now I'm 24, and that sourdough starter's just been kicking. Imagine how much transformation that's brought in the past 13 years. It's just been kicking out loaves. It's fed several hundred people for sure. This, this transformative power that changes things from the inside out. That's just what God says power is like in his kingdom. And so in these two parables, we learn that, that power in God's kingdom is in the small and the unseen things. So what do we do with all of this? Uh, it's application time. I think that if we believe that this is how power actually works, it's going to be significant in our lives. It's going to change us in big ways over the long term. It's going to shape us uh, so that we turn away from craving the type of power that our culture lifts up. And instead, it'll turn us to God and to his type of power. And it'll, it'll help us look for the kingdom in our daily lives. And in, in believing that the, the kingdom power is in the small and the unseen things, That helps us believe that God cares about the small 
and unseen things in our lives. He's not just looking at the highlights. He's, he wants to be in the small and unseen things. And so that gives us the freedom not to minimize anything because God cares deeply about every aspect of our lives. There's no hurt too small that he doesn't want to heal. There's no burden too light that he doesn't want to carry. There's no step forward towards him that he doesn't want to walk next to you in. He wants to be with you in all of those small things. He cares deeply about them. He wants to give us, he wants us to give him the small things of our lives, the unseen things. And if I'm honest, I don't really do that all that much. I try to, I try to handle the small things. I try to handle the big things too. And only when kind of the world kicks me in the butt do I come to God with my tail between my legs and be like, okay, God, like I couldn't do it. Can you, you do it? I, and can you do it this way? That's what I really want. But he invites us to bring him the small things, the unseen things. And that call then allows us to pay attention to the small and unseen things. We often think big picture. We want the highlights. We want the great things. We think about what life will be like when I graduate and get a great job. Oh man, my resume is going to be perfect. I'm going to get the best job out there. But it's really, it's the small things that shape us. It's the quiet moments of life that turn us into who, we, who we're going to be. Those small moments that we can pay attention to. So think about the small and unseen things in your life that you want God to, to bring power to. When I was studying for this passage, I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about that. I mean, what's small and unseen in my life? What is small and unseen that God could, could work great power in? And I think just the, the clearest example is prayer. Prayer seems super small. It's unseen. It's like, I'm just going to say words in my head. And I, like, I think God is there and listening. That seems pretty small. But man, when I, when I think like that, God just reminds me, he's like, Jason, haven't I answered amazing big prayers of yours? Haven't I, haven't I worked through this small act of praying to me to bring transformation in your life? I'm like, oh yeah, like, dude, God, that prayer is powerful, but it's small and it's unseen. And oftentimes I neglect it. That might be the case for you too. So if we believe that, that the power of the kingdom is in the small and the unseen things, that should lead us to prayer, to more and more prayer, to, to praying in faith. Man, so if, we, if we're thinking that, that if we believe that God cares about the small and unseen things and we're going to pay attention to them and pray about them, those are, those are kind of feel-good applications. This next one's going to sting a little bit on the front end but I think it's going to feel even better on the back. And so if we're thinking about the small and unseen things in our life, man, I think that in the, in the, in the eyes of the world, we're small. We're unseen. I would, I would bet money that none of us are written about in the history books in 100 years. History is not going to remember us. And so that can lead us to see that, oh man, I'm small. I'm going to live an unseen life 
And that, that can lead to despair in the lonely moments at night when I can't fall asleep. And I'm just thinking about how small and insignificant my life is. But now, if you introduce the idea that, that God loves small and unseen things, that if we're thinking through that, if he steps in and he breaks into that moment and he's like, you're not insignificant, I love you. I'm the creator of the universe, the all-powerful one, the one who gives power, who gives significance. And I say, you are significant. You may be small, you may be unseen, but I love you. Man, that just flips the whole picture upside down. Isn't that so beautiful? That even though we're small and unseen, God sees us. And he knows us. And he loves us. Man, I just think that if you need any more proof to believe that God gives power to the small and unseen things, look no farther than Jesus. Man, he became a baby. That's crazy. God being a baby? Oh, man. He was just so small, wrapped in a swaddling cloth. But he continued to be small into adulthood. He wasn't small in stature necessarily, but he was a small town carpenter. Nothing in the eyes of the world. And then the last few years of his life, he turned to to religious ministry. He didn't have the rock star following. He had 12 rejects. Some fishermen, tax collectors, really nobodies were the people who followed him around. And even though Jesus was insignificant in the eyes of the world, man, he was God with flesh on. He was the Messiah who came to bring in the kingdom that would restore and renew and bring glory to all things. But again, his his kingdom was, it wasn't initiated with a coronation. It was initiated with the cross, with death on a cross. And man, the world didn't look at that and say, that's power. No, so that's insignificant. And so the, Jesus has never been about the world's perspective on power. Instead, Jesus' death and his resurrection were like a small little seed that was planted 2,000 years ago. And man, has it grown. It's grown from a small seed into a great tree where we can take rest in, where we can sit in the shade in security. And Jesus' death and resurrection is like leaven in our lives and in the world that works with power from the inside out. The scriptures say that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within you if you trust him and love him. So man, wherever you're at, whether you've, you've loved Jesus for your whole life or maybe you're, you're new and you're hearing the gospel for the first time, you think that you're small and you're insignificant, and you feel like you've lost all meaning. You're not powerful. And look to Jesus. He set aside all of his power so that he could come and die and pay for for your smallness to bring significance to your insignificance, your inability to be significant. And he did that out of love and joy. He was on the cross, and he was thinking about you calling you to himself, 
working his, his great power in small but significant ways to draw you to him. So come to him. Return to him. If it's your thousandth time returning or if it's your first time coming, come to him in faith and in trust that he loves you and cares for you more than you could ever imagine. His power is small and yet it's great. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we, we need you. We need you to remind us of who we are. We need you to remind us of your love for us, even though we feel so small and insignificant. Lord Jesus, would you draw us to yourself with your great power uh, and work your great power in us that we might look more like you and advance your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to the day where you come back and we realize that and experience it fully. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your strong name. Amen. So the practice uh, we've started this semester is that after we hear God's word preached, we, we praise. So we sing the doxology uh, and it's just praising God. And so I'm going to sing. I'm going to need you to sing. I'm so tone deaf. I learned though. I'm going to start singing and then I'm going to turn off the mic so that your voices carry farther than mine. And so if you, if you would stand with us, the worship team's going to come up as we sing. Uh, but let's sing and respond in praise to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly. Oh. Uh-huh.